0: During Lent, we're looking at the seven signs of Jesus in the Gospel of John by which he tells us something of who he is. And the sign this morning comes from the fifth chapter of John, beginning in verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and learned how how long he had been in that condition, Jesus asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, he replied, There is no one to take me into the pool when it is stirred. And whenever... It is stirred. Someone goes down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, get up, take your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. It has long bothered me that the angels would be involved in something as questionable as what was going on at the pool of Bethesda. According to tradition, the angels would stir that pool, which was used to uh, wash the sheep uh, before they were offered as sacrifice. And when the pool was stirred, the first one in the pool would be healed. It bothered me that the angels would be a part of this practice. I mean, uh, first of all, the the time that it would be healed was uh, completely arbitrary. Uh, no one knew when this might happen. There was apparently no schedule to it. It reminded me of years ago when my family went to Yellowstone, we went, of course, to Old Faithful. And there they could tell us almost to the minute the next time that Old Faithful would erupt. No such um, guidance for those who were by the pool of Bethesda. The second thing was this. It favored those who were already pretty healthy in the first place. Because it was the first one in got healed. And so people who had a hangnail or tennis elbow were a lot more likely to get healed than the blind or the lame or the paralyzed. And it always bothered me that the angels would be involved in a practice like this, a religion that favors the already self-sufficient. But then, some years ago, archaeologists discovered a pagan temple right next to the pool of Bethesda. And they discovered that this was a temple to the um, Greek god of healing, Asclepius. And so there, it was very likely that this uh, pool was at one time an Asclepius pool. It was a pool that the pagans used and believed that healing would come about that way. Uh, there are Asclepius pools all over the world. There in the, one of the seven churches of Revelation in Pergamum, uh, there is an Asclepius pool. One of the interesting things is when Jesus comes to this pool and sees the man, he says to him, do you want to get well? And for years, I thought that was some sort of rabbinic question, as we talked about last week. Jesus asked you a question to sort of draw you into the conversation, to help you clarify your desires and your motives. But I've, And this has led to many uh, wonderful psychology sermons that I've given over the years about, do people really want to get well, or are they just happier not having to go to work or not having to uh, face the world of reality? But the fact of the matter is, the question that Jesus asked him was had nothing to do with psychology at all. It was a question that you were asked in the waiting room when you were going to see Asclepius for healing. One of the things the attendants would ask you is, do you want to get well? Are you willing to go through the regimen they're getting ready to put you through? So Jesus is asking the very question that the pagan god would be asking of the people waiting in the pool of Siloam. What we see by this is when Jesus turned water into wine, he was replacing the Jewish ceremonial rites of purification. And he was saying that you don't have to go through all this to get to God. You go through me. And it could very well be here at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus is saying, don't go to that pagan God for healing. I'm taking his place. You come to me. So when I think about this very arbitrary system, it could very well be the angels aren't involved at all, that more than likely it is a pagan ritual, and if we're going to blame anybody, we blame Asclepius. And apparently the water got stirred either from a natural spring, but more than likely what they found in recent years is King Herod had a system of, uh, of cisterns that occasionally would feed this pool. And when the cisterns were activated in a way to feed the pool, there was a bubbling up of the water. So we shouldn't blame God for this one at all. But what about the man, though? Does he have some responsibility for years going to participate in a system that never helps him? Does he have any responsibility for doing the same thing over and over and the result never changes? You've probably heard the classic definition of insanity is this, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Every day by the pool, maybe this is the day that he will be healed and it never happens. Does he have some responsibility in this? It could be, but people do interesting things out of desperation. And when people are desperate for something to happen, they sort of lose a picture of the track record of history or, or um, they lose a picture of what reality might be. I mean, I know what that's like. I was one of those people that bought that those pills that would make you lose weight and you never had to quit eating hamburgers. You know, desperate enough, I thought, well, this might work. All common sense told you that wasn't going to work. Medicine told you that wasn't going to work. But, you know, you get desperate enough, you try it. Maybe that's going on. Or maybe it's this. Maybe it's the fact that he's never met Jesus. He doesn't know that Jesus can give him what he needs. How do we know he's never met Jesus? Well, a little bit later in the story, because it's the Sabbath and this guy's walking through the temple area carrying his mat, he gets in trouble. And and he tells him he got healed. And they say, who healed you? And he said, well, I don't know his name, but, but he's that guy. And he points over to Jesus. So it's likely he doesn't know what Jesus offers him, which is real healing and real health. It's interesting what he says to Jesus when Jesus says, you want to get well. He says, you know, in a sense, you could really help me if you'd get me into the pool. And you'd really help me, Jesus, if you'd join in the system that's never worked yet. But maybe if you'd help it, it would work. And he doesn't know what Jesus offers. I have to tell you, though, this morning, I'm not here to throw rocks at Asclepius and, and the God of healing. Uh, the pagan god of healing, I'm not here to throw rocks at the man. I'm here to tell you that I have been by the pool. And I have been a good part of my life by the pool. Waiting for something, hoping for something to deliver meaning and uh, satisfaction and joy that year after year consistently fails to deliver that. I've been there. I know what it it looks like. For years, I thought, that the way happiness and joy came in life was if you achieved success in whatever you undertook. So year after year, I'd go to the pool of success and, and, and try my luck, and including working in the church. If 500 members were good, well, 1,000 must be twice as successful. And And you keep trying. You go to the pool, but it never really seems to deliver. I've been by the pool of people-pleasing. I thought, well, as a middle child, you know, I just, uh, one of five children, I just thought the easiest uh, uh, path was the path of least resistance, and so i just tried to melt into um, the woodwork and the couch in, in the family uh, when the family uh, got together for years, and I've just sort of learned that, that, that my role in life is just trying to make sure everybody else is happy, then nobody shoots at me, and, and I began going to the pool of pleasing people, but you begin to find, A, you can't please everybody. And, B, you can please people one time, but that doesn't mean you'll please them the next. And then most startling of all to me was the very people you set out to please, so you did something whether or not you really thought you were supposed to do it. They were the very people who, who were upset with you doing it. And I learned that that pool just, just never delivered. And for years, and through a number of degree programs and continuing education events, I've gone to the pool of education. I thought if I just knew a little bit more, all these problems would be solved, that there's nothing that can't be solved with a little more education about the particular issue. But, of course, as all of us have come to find out in a world of rapid change that is really discontinuous change, it looks the world today looks nothing like the world several years ago, that what you have learned in the past doesn't really help you very much. When you find yourself in the problems of the present, that something else is required than just one more seminar or one more event. And yet faithfully, I would drag my mat and go to those pools. And more than once, I really felt like Jesus tried to get my attention to the pools. And and so like the man at the pool, I just said, well, you know, Jesus, if you just work with this pool, I think it'll be fine. And I treated Jesus sort of like a hamburger helper in my life. Have you ever known that? I mean, you plan a meal. It's not a real fancy meal. You're just going to, you know, put it out there. But you think hamburger helper, dress it up a little bit. And so I just say, well, here's Jesus. Here's the pool. Here's what I want to happen. Just make this work. And I never realized the banquet that he had for me if I would just come straight to him instead. It's exactly what Cheryl told the children. You go to Jesus first. Years ago, Maurice Boyd asked this question. Why is it that Christians find everything else more attractive than Jesus? When they, get, when they get in a difficult situation, why is it everything else first they have to try and find that it doesn't work before they will actually come to Jesus? I don't know, but I know it's been going on a long time. People have turned everywhere else to the Lord for millennia. The book of Jeremiah in chapter 2, God says this. He said, I've got two problems with the people of God. I've got two issues, he said. Two things against you. The first one is this. You have forsaken the spring of living water. In other words, I'm living water and you're heading to some other pool. And he said the second one is this. And you have dug cisterns for yourself that are broken and really don't hold water. In other words, not only do you ignore me when I can give you the help you need, you go try to find your own help, which is really no help at all. All the pools that we go to, we find that really, if we look closely at them, they have very slow leaks. And they will never really hold what God has in store for us. But despite the warnings and despite experience, we tend to go there again and again. I'm reminded of a good friend of mine. Uh, we were in two classes together my last year at seminary at Duke. And uh, and one day in the spring, he told me about a dream he had had the night before. And it was so profound that I remember it to this day. He told me this. He said, I had a dream last night. And he said, in my dream, I heard a voice say, uh, come over here and find the secret to meaning and fulfillment in life. And he said, in my dream, I thought, well, you know, I can't pass that up. So I started heading that direction of the voice. And the voice said, but first you must pass these tests before you get the answer. Well, okay, he said. And the first test was a video game. But you have to remember, if this is 30 years ago. It was a game of Pong. Anybody remember Pong? Just like anybody bat it back and forth, back and forth. Well, as a graduate student with some time on his hands, he would gotten pretty good at Pong. And uh, so it posed not, a, not too big a challenge. To, he won the game to 21. He moved forward. And the next step, he said he was ushered into a small gymnasium. And the voice told him, You get ten free throws, and you have to make seven. Well, my friend thought, well, you know, I played high school basketball, and after all, I am at Duke. That We ought to be able to handle this. Missed his first one. But then he hit seven in a row. And the voice said, follow me, and you will find the meaning, the secret to meaning and fulfillment life. So he did. And the next place he said he went, like a small room, there was a chair, he sat down in the chair, a table in front of him. He said there was a wall and somebody whose face he couldn't make out um, next to the wall. And the voice said to him, You must answer this question. It was sort of like final jeopardy, but you had to give the form uh, in, a, in an answer, not in a question. And the question was this How did Paul become a Roman citizen, the Apostle Paul? And he said, in a dream, his face lit up because after all, we had spent three months in a class on Paul together. And so he off, He wrote down, he said, well, the church tradition is this, that Paul's parents participated in a revolt against Rome. They got hauled into slavery. They were made slaves. Eventually, their, uh, their captors freed them and freed Roman slaves, became citizens. And so by birth, their children are citizens, even if they are Jews. You're right. There's one more thing, said the voice come this way. So he took a step outside that room and he saw a maze and he stepped in and didn't really know what to do. He said, but I turned right and, and turned right again and just followed my instincts, went back to the left. He said, I kept turning and eventually he said, I saw a wide open field and across the field was a building. It was a round building And the voice said, very good, now come inside and find the secret to meaning and fulfillment in life. So he did. He went in this um, building, opened the door. The voice told him to come sit on the front row. He went, sat on the front row. The lights uh, went down, and then like a 360-degree screen came on, and the voice said, this is the secret to meaning and fulfillment in life. And so he got ready. And on the screen flashed these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John fourteen six. My friend said in his dream he stood up, he said, wait a minute. He said, I already knew that. And he heard the voice say to him, then why then did you waste all this time playing those games? Why, indeed, why is it that we'll go to the pool again and again when Jesus is available and waiting for us?